The Guardian. The Guardian live at the Edinburgh Fringe 2008. That's me just stepped off stage at the Gilded Balloon after recording the Guardian podcast live. I'm Miles Jupp. Izzy Sati just finished the show for us with a fantastic song. We had brilliant guests today. We had Adams and Ray. We had uh, Otto Kuhnler and Henning Venn, a thousand years of German humour. Uh, Henry Rollins and Izzy Sati. Let's start the show with me introducing our first guests. Our first act are a pair of cheeky pluckers, apparently. They were described in The Guardian as delicious and splendid. They're performing every day at 2.15 in the Pleasance Courtyard. Please welcome Adams and Ray! Everybody. Hello, thank you. Thank you very much. We're going to start by not plucking today. Um, and just to say that Sarah and I have both done quite a lot of education work. Um, so this is a song that we wrote for very small children and we perform it in schools up and down the country. And it's about, um, it's a message about the perils of litter. Hit it. Ooh. Me like it. Yo, well, nothing would be finer than getting a bin liner and sticking it in uh, my litter bin. Sticky to me litter bin. You've got to pick up the litter from the grass and separate your plastics from your glass. I'm gonna separate your glass. Here we go. Kids, kids, all kind of kids. Black, white, Puerto Rican, Chinese kids. Put it in me bin, put it in me bin. Litter! Put it in me bin, put it in oh, me bin. Oh, it feels good to recycle. Ooh. Yes, I'm talking to you, Kylie and Michael. Stick it in me bin, in me big black bin. Stick it in me bin, in me big black bin. Don't walk away from that hula hoop wrapper. If you don't want to pick it up, you can use me picker upper. If you don't want to touch the litter, you can wear a rubber glover. Come on, you batty children, be environmental lover. Lover! Little kids, lava. Little kids, put it in me bin, don't leave it for the vulture. It messes up the playground, you see that, don't ya? I see you throw away them little bones of chicken. Ooh. You should be throwing your boner in me big bin. Put it in me bin, put it in me bin. Litter! Put it in me bin, put it in me bin. Litter! Put it in me bin, put it in me bin. Litter! Stick it in me bin, in me big black bin. Ooh! Thank you very much. We've never been asked back to the schools, so we, we think the message got through. Henning Venn is the comedy ambassador for Germany. This year he's performing a show called A Thousand Years of German Humour every day at the Underbelly with the country's leading yodelmeister, Otto Kuhnler. Please welcome Otto and Henning! Guten Tag. Uh, yeah, my name is Henning, and I am the German comedy ambassador. Yeah. It's not the easiest of jobs. You British always say we Germans don't have a sense of humor. Yeah, I don't find that funny. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that is the, next to me is Herr Kuhnle. He's the funniest man from Düsseldorf. <laughs> And also the Fatherland's foremost Jodelmeister. And our show is called 1,000 Years of German Humor. Yeah, it's not real time. <laughs> Might feel like it. 
Yeah. I mean, I must admit, Herr Kuhnle, I mean, I've never ever done stand-up back home in Germany mm -hmm. yeah, because I'm not good enough to cut it in Germany. Yeah. And that's why I worked the British circuit. Because yeah. <laughs> stand-up in Britain, bloody easy. Uh, all you have to do, loads of swearing. So in Germany, we don't swear at all. Reason being, things work. <laughs> now how we're doing for the time. Uh, in German humor, humor, that doesn't need to be funny. No. Needs to be exactly timed. Yeah, uh, yeah because timing is the secret of comedy. <laughs> Uh, nobody yeah. can beat us at that. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, but probably uh, it's now time to introduce you to one of uh, Germany's uh, foremost art forms. It's the art of yodeling. And I want to make now a little yodel course for you. So yodeling never was regarded as any kind of uh, music or art. It always was meant as something kind uh, of communication. It was the only possibility to spread information, um, information from one mountain summit to another one, because otherwise you have to go down into the valley just to climb up the other mountain, just to say at home, I will be late for dinner. <laughs> and that would be very inefficient. So, um, but I think everybody here wants to yodel now. It's true, yeah? So I've, I have two exercises, one for the men um, <coughs> and one for the women, because you have different voices, as you might have noticed. And so the men have to make the shout from a cow, but you really have to do it very loud, otherwise your voice will not crack, because your voice has to crack. I will show it now to the men. It would sound like this. <coughs> Can you hear the men, please? <coughs> Sounds nice to me. And now uh, the women have to do the sound of a sheep. It goes like that. <coughs> they did it. I get the five marks. Thank you. And <laughs> uh, and now uh, we I will not do a, a Scottish tune. I will order it. So please, everybody, put your fingers on the nose. And on this side, you make, only make, now together strong. Well, is anybody having the morning they were expecting? Um, uh, Henning Venn, do please join me for a chat. Henning Venn, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Henning, welcome. Jawohl. Uh, how are you feeling? Very good. Right. I always get up early, so it doesn't make a difference for me. Why do you get up early? Do you have uh, cows to milk or...? No, it's just my work ethic. Oh, right. Just even if I've got nothing to do, I still get up at five in the morning. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're aware, but you, uh, you have a celebrity fan. This is, what, uh, this is what UK television legend Jim Bowen had to say about your show. We saw two crazy Germans, a thousand years of German humour, and we absolutely fell about. There were two Germans on the set, 
Both needed counselling. I mean, but they were <laughs> fabulous. Absolutely, I was on the floor. I was ill. <laughs> you left. You left Jim Bowen on the floor. So, uh, no matter. We helped him up again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal but efficient. Uh, <laughs> now, off you go. Off you go. Uh, <laughs> No, very nice chap. I mean, as to be said, I mean, what Jim did for us during this festival in regards where he plucked us and, and uh, recommended us, I mean, absolutely tremendous, better than any PR agent. So really, really brilliant. Thanks, Jim. Uh, now, your, your show, uh, A Thousand Years of German Humour. Have, have there been a thousand years of, of German humour? Oh, loads more. German humour started around 40,000 BC with the... <laughs> Specifically German humour? Yeah. Yes, with the Neanderthalers, so that's a small uh, valley near Düsseldorf where Kuhnle is from. And they invented physical humour, like someone smacks another one with a bat on the head. <laughs> so that fella passes out and everybody stands around laughing. <laughs> Funny. How, how, how did you first meet Otto? Uh, I met Sir Otto in, in London, funnily enough, uh, around about... Back in 2005, I think it was, and uh, the story to that was that in uh, Berlin Comedy Club, they used to have once a month, they used to have an English act, so and an English act came over, it was Brian Damage from the Pear Shaped in London, small comedy club, and uh, Otto was on that night as well, so they became friends, and then Otto said, I'll tell you what, I'll visit you in London, and that's then when we met, when Otto visited Brian in London, and we had a few sherbets, and then we said, uh, next morning, let's meet outside the London Eye and sing some German folk songs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, one of them drunken ideas. Uh, so, and we did it, and it was a big success. All the Japanese tourists, they all took photos and whatnot, and uh, say so it's a market for that. <laughs> did you get re uh, repeat bookings for that? Did, did Japanese people turn up weeks later going, well, we heard there'd be Germans here yodeling? Well, I could make no very cheap joke that they all look the same and therefore I couldn't tell you. But uh, <laughs> as, it's, as it's the Guardian podcast, I obviously can't do that. Uh, I'm doing the Daily Mail tomorrow, so I'll use it there. <laughs> now, did you, did you come to Britain with the uh, expressed intentions of being a comedian? No, not at all. Um, I came over about six years ago, so and then moved to Tooting, South London, in it. Um, <laughs> yeah? As you can probably tell. Um, yeah, it really does seem to have rubbed off on you. <laughs> um. uh, yeah, no, anyway, so and then uh, I came over uh, to work in my uh, normal line of work, which, uh, which was marketing. And then one night I went to a comedy night, not really knowing what to expect, but the concept immediately appealed to me. Someone standing on stage telling a few things and uh, said, I give that a go. And then it was a hobby. And then paid hobby, then well-paid hobby, and now a terribly paid job. <laughs> 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 Ladies and gentlemen, Henning Venn! <laughs> Before we speak to my next guest, let's get another song from Adamson Ray. Right, we're going to do another song for you now. This is a tribute song to our favourite smash hit musical comedy romance film, The Silence of the Lambs. I'd like to dedicate this one to serial killer Buffalo Bill. It puts the 
Lotion on his skin and puts the lotion in the basket. Put the fucking lotion in the basket! He puts the lotion on his skin or else he gets the hose again. Put the fucking lotion in the basket! Are you about a size 14? Oh wait, was she a big fat person? With your candy and your fava beans. FBI. Lotion on his skin, lotion in the basket. Put the fucking lotion in the basket! It puts the lotion on his skin, or else it gets the hose again. Put the fucking lotion in the basket! Oh, with you, your cheap shoes and your good bag. The lambs, they were screaming. What did Mick say as he walked past? He said, I can smell your cunt. It puts the, the lotion, lotion on his skin, lotion in the basket. Put the fucking lotion on the basket. It, it puts the lotion on his skin, or else it gets the hose again. Don't you touch my dog. Precious lotion on his skin, lotion in the basket. Put the fucking lotion in the basket. It puts the lotion on his skin, or else it gets the hose again. Put the fucking lotion. Put the fucking Come on, everybody. Put the fucking lotion in the basket. What's the fucking lotion in the basket? Thank you. Thank you. The Guardian Live at the Gilded Balloon. Henry Rollins is appearing at the Gilded Balloon at 10.45 with his show called Spoken Word. He is a Grammy winner, a Hollywood actor, a writer, a musician, and a raconteur. He's here now on the Guardian podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Henry Rollins! Henry, welcome. How, how are you? Oh, fine, thanks. Uh, now, you're, uh, you're doing a show uh, here in this very room, actually, the Gullibaloo nightclub. Yeah, I was right there a little while ago. Right, Center stage. Is it all, uh, all going well? Yeah, so far, so good. Uh, three nights in, three or four more to go. And because uh, you, you've been doing a lot of traveling uh, this year, have you been making documentaries this year? Yeah, I shot five documentaries this year, in, uh, some in Southeast Asia, one in uh, South Africa, and one in um, the Lower Ninth Ward of New Orleans trying to see what, are, what has not been done for those people down there in the last three years. And where, what, what did you find in New Orleans? A lot of uh, demolished houses and people still waiting for reconstruction efforts to happen. Basically, a lot of non-whites being disenfranchised by the war criminals that is the Bush administration. Right. You know, no, no big surprise there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you, uh, are you looking forward to any sort of a regime change in, in America? Well, I think it'll be John McCain. And so I think uh, by hook or by crook, it, it, people have to remember that Republicans just cheat. That's just what they do. And, uh, and especially uh, a doddering old man in adult diapers will easily win over a, a young, slick, amazing, charismatic, uh, semi-African-American. And so we can expect uh, more time in Iraq and pushing into Iran and the restarting of the Cold War. So now that I'm almost grown up, I have to find out what country I'm really going to live in. So... <laughs> Uh, so regime change, it, there won't really be a change. Uh, but you, you've been witnessing other regime changes as well. You do a lot of work with the uh, United Service uh, Organization. Yeah. Uh, so you, you've been entertaining American troops? Yeah, I've been to uh, places like Afghanistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kuwait, Iraq, places like that. Uh, I, the, the military I don't have a problem with. It's, it's the assignment they've been giving, given in Iraq that I don't like. So I like the infantry. They're nice folks. I just think the job is screwy. So, uh, and, and to me, getting in an argument with a soldier about the war is akin to getting in an argument with a cop about the law. They're really not the one to take up that, the issue with. It's, it's the ones who dispatch them who I have the, the problem with. And what is the, what is the terri most terrifying place you've been? We had Rod Gilbert on the other day. He did a, he'd done a gig in one of Saddam's palaces. Yeah, uh, I went to, I, I went, yeah, I went to Saddam's palace. Uh, the, the most 
thing uh, that was most relevant to me was the mortar attack I was in uh, in the Baghdad area. I was in a building, and they, they threw two outside the building, and the, the concussion is, is pretty intense. Uh, and one guy, uh, I was signing a guy's photograph, and the, the mortars came in, and I kept signing my name and uh, figuring, oh, that must be the mortars. And one fellow <laughs> dove through the air and landed on the ground, and everyone laughed at him. He was new in country, and, and the poor guy has to show out for his you know, male <laughs> friends. And he said, oh, I slipped. And it was the only, <laughs> it was the only humor I found in Baghdad besides uh, Saddam's gold-plated bidet. <laughs> and you've also uh, you spent time in Burma recently. Yeah, I just got back from Burma a few weeks ago. I, we uh, basically, uh, me and some camera guys, uh, got legal visas, but we snuck around Burma for two weeks with, with uh, cameras and uh, shot all kinds of footage of everything from uh, Aung San Suu Kyi's house uh, to uh, all kinds of things that they probably don't want uh, to have come out. And so we'll be putting that together later in the year, uh, hopefully early next year, and, and hopefully upsetting Tan Shui and his uh, awful junta. But you were able to get all the footage out of Burma? Yeah, we uh, snuck it out in portable hard drives. We shot everything and dumped it into hard drives at night in little hotel rooms and uh, tried to look like five corny white tourists with <laughs> big boy cameras. And at one point, we were surveilled and followed in a place called Bagan, which is very, very beautiful. It's in the Bagan Plain, all lots of pagodas there. And we, we just tried to look like I, we weren't making a documentary. And we fooled the guards and the cops most of the time, but not all the time. Uh, what, what, what happened? Well, we, uh, every time a guard would come looking at us, we'd be in some place, uh, the camera guy would like, talk about your mom. So I'd go like, hi, mom, I'm here standing in front of the Schwedegon, or wherever it was, and the guy would kind of growl and walk away. But at one point, we were uh, followed all day by two guys on a motorbike, and then we were actually uh, filmed when we got onto a boat on the Irrawaddy River. And by the end of the day, after seven hours of being followed by these two guys on a motorbike, as an American, uh, you're, you're given all this freedom, so you think it's owed to you everywhere. And so by around 5.30, we're at this tea house, and I asked one of the cameramen, I go, do you see those two guys been following us? He said, yeah, they're behind you standing outside. And so I lost my temper and wanted to go see what they had to say for themselves. So I, I roughed up one of them. Not, you know, it's a Buddhist country. A little bit goes a long way f when you get <laughs> physical. Uh, so I just, I stepped on the guy's feet and uh, was bumping my forehead into his baseball cap, asking him if he was having a nice day. And uh, uh, he, he wasn't all of a sudden. And they left us alone after that. And uh, the guys at the table said that, you know, that was monumentally stupid because, you know, they worked for the cops. They're going back to the police station now and filing an assault suit, and we're all going to jail. And we... we we didn't. You know, thankfully, we just got out of there uh, pre-dawn the next morning and uh, slipped out of town. But it's a sad place, you know, because the, the people are nice, but the junta has disenfranchised those people, and, and the, the sanctions exacted upon the country don't help. So no. and this is, these are the things that inform my very funny show every night, can't you tell? <laughs> I have a, a friend who's been sleeping on a mattress on my floor this week, and he came to see. Uh, he's slightly impoverished. Uh, he came to see uh, your your show last night, and he was he was talking about it till four o'clock in the morning. He was uh, he was uh, on a high from it. He, uh, he was very keen. I, I talked to you about uh, airport security. Well, oh yeah. Well, uh, the other day I was at, uh, I get asked a lot of questions at Los Angeles International Airport, which is the airport I usually leave from because yeah. uh, a lot of the visas in my passport say the Islamic Republic of or the Democratic National 
People's Republic of or whatever. So they want to talk to you. And these days they now go through my notebooks and they read aloud from the stuff I write. <laughs> and uh, they say it's, you know, better security. And I, I don't mind. And, or they pat you down very, very hard now. You get the full genital squeeze. And, <laughs> and when it's a guy patting you down and you're not homosexual, um, at 47 years of age, that's what I am, you don't kick that stimulation out of bed that quickly. Because it, if it feels good... <laughs> And, and you don't get the action like you used to in your 20s. You just kind of, you're okay with it. Like, like a, a male dog doesn't care if it's a male stroking its balls. It just yeah. takes it and is like, thank you. And, and, and so I, I learned to kind of like it you know, when I get all felt up. But the other day, I was there right behind Cat Stevens, Yosef Islam. And they went over him so hard I thought they were going to leave bruises on him from the frisking and you, you see the hatred they have for this guy and I wanted to go over and shake his hand and say hey thanks for all that great music you know because I really enjoy what he's done I grew up with those records but I figured if I shook his hand they'd identify the two of us as a two-man cell <laughs> <laughs> and I would not have been able to make the Edinburgh Festival so I just uh, let it go and went on my way Cat Stevens wasn't enjoying the process as much as... No, he had a very passive look on his face. I think he's used to it. I think he probably has a lot of... They give him a lot of grief in America. Uh, you, you employed a man as a, as, a, as a warm-up act for you, that you'd come across... Uh, oh, no, I wanted to. I, I, years ago in Thailand, uh, I, I saw a guy at a snake show. You know, they have snake shows all over Thailand because they have yeah. a lot of snakes. Is that the thing you're talking about? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, he was dressed in all in white, and his PA system was a boombox with a two-foot bit of microphone cord attached to a, a tiny microphone, and he spoke in this unnervingly high-pitched voice. Like, the cobra bite you, you die! Ah! And everyone stopped looking at the cobras <laughs> and looked at this little man, and I said, that's it, we need this guy, just to come and destroy the audience for 20 minutes, talking about anything. And then anyone who goes on afterwards has this completely neutralized, softened audience. It's better than waterboarding the fuckers when they come <laughs> in. <laughs> and I wanted him. I want the little man. I want him to come with me. How much does he cost? Uh, but you, you, you can't do that anymore. Uh, Henry Rollins is performing here at the Gilded Balloon at 10.45 e every evening. Thank you very much indeed. Henry Rollins! Thank you. Henry, do stay with us, please. Uh, my final guest this morning is performing the Sutty Show every day at the Pleasance. She's captured the hearts of comedy fans all over the country with her portrayal of Dobby in Peep Show. She's delighting Edinburgh audiences this year with her collection of musical characters. Ladies and gentlemen, Izzy Sutty! <laughs> Izzy, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm fine, yes. You're having a very busy Edinburgh? Quite busy. I've just done a read-through of a sitcom this morning at the Assembly Rooms with Michael Barrymore playing my dad. So, yeah. <laughs> It was, uh, it was quite it's fun. A remote contingency, but um, yes. <laughs> 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 now, uh, can you can you tell us a little bit about this year's show? Sure. Yeah. It, um, the theme is really uh, what you wanted to be when you were a child versus the constrictions of adulthood. So I go through my various ambitions as I was growing up. Um, the first of which was to be a, a love songwriter, and we used to write love songs for boys when we were about 13, 12 or 13, and record them onto cassette tape and then leave them in the boys' bags while they were in assembly, hoping that would persuade them to fall in love with us. <laughs> it did not. <laughs> if anything, it persuaded them to avoid us into their 30s. Uh, that's what happened. But um, I used to get paid in mini baby bells. That was great. I developed a great passion for cheese around that time. <laughs> 
this year, is it, uh, Peep Show has had a huge impact uh, on your life, and in fact, your work on it has had a huge impact on the lives of others. Izzy's been playing a character called Dobby. Has it changed your life? I think it has a bit. Um, I play this character who's an IT geek who also really likes um, online role-play game-playing like wizards and, and, and goblins and things like that. I don't think there was really um, a pin-up in existence for the IT world who are into <laughs> wizards. So I'm glad that I filled that gap. <laughs> um, it's a great honour. <laughs> it was really fun to do Peep Show. Um, and it was very interesting because it's filmed from point of view, so you're talking to a camera the whole time. If you have to kiss the other character, you're putting your mouth on a piece of gaffer tape on the bottom of the camera. So, yeah. so one, of our, one of our producers, Scott Shaw, uh, he described the scene with you and David Mitchell in the stationary cupboard as quite simply the sexiest thing he's ever seen. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> That's great. I don't want to think about that. My dad's seen it. <laughs> I, I have to say, I enjoyed it also. Um, <laughs> It's all musical characters in uh, your show. Yeah, it is, I think. Yes. And you've got, yeah. uh, you've got a character from uh, a reject from Britain's Got Talent. Yes, a 12 year old boy, Ben Radford. Um, and he does like an all round package. He's a beatboxer, an actor, a dancer, a singer, and impressionist singer, beatboxer, actor, dancer. Yes, it spells out is bad. That's, uh, <laughs> that's key. That's key. Uh, yeah. and, and who else, uh, who else um, is in your show? Yvonne Winehouse, who's Amy Winehouse's quite well to do cousin, who's. Uh, <laughs> A musical health and safety officer <laughs> <laughs> from Surrey, um, and uh, a singer called Melody, but she works as a hairdresser, but she stops the haircut halfway through and sings little songs. Um, and uh, uh, Mr. Mississippi, who's an 80 year old black jazz singer. I do not black up. <laughs> I have to make that clear. Um, yeah. But you're capable of playing uh, males of any age. Is that well, I think it, with Edinburgh, it costs so much to put on your own show. I thought, I want to play a 12-year-old boy. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> if I say I can, I can. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, I think so. I think it's okay. My voice kind of goes a bit higher for him. He's quite camp. He's gay, basically, but he doesn't know yet. That's I was saying something the other day about you in a bar, and uh, uh, they said that you spent a lot of your childhood in graveyards. Is that Oh, is that yeah. true? That really isn't as dodgy as it sounds. Um, no, no, I didn't mean it. Yeah, no, because my mum is um, a campanologist, which is a bell ringer. Oh, sir, you nodded as if you know. Yes, I know what that is. That's so great. Uh, yeah, my mum's a bell ringer, and um, so I grew up playing on gravestones while she was bell ringing, which was more or less every night, because a lot of churches do bell ringing, and it's almost every night of the week if you travel around. So I grew up um, playing on gravestones, and I developed this thing that, uh, called Echo Singing that I used in last year's show. I can do a bit now if you oh, want. I would love that. Um, so this is Amy Winehouse singing as if she's in a well, which was the inspiration <laughs> for Yvonne Winehouse, really. So, trying to make me go, go to read it, had about a say it, no, 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 no. Yeah, that's a bimbing, blah, blah, but when, when I call, come, bye, bye, I won't go, 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 go. And I ain't gaga the ta da 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 ma ma da dee dee think thinks da 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 Trying to make me go go to read it dee dee ba ba wo wo go 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 And I just used to basically thank you. That was my childhood doing that on gravestones every night. Uh, Izzy Sutty has very kindly agreed to perform an excerpt from her show. But before we hear that, uh, please join me in saying a big thank you to all my guests today. Adams and Ray, Henning Venn, Otto Kuhnler, Henry Rollins and Izzy Sutty.
This is a song about the most boring thing in the world. Hearing about other people's dreams is the most boring thing in the world. More boring than washing rice out of sieves. More boring than knowing where an MP lives. More boring than flossing your teeth. More boring than most men called Keith. Hearing about other people's dreams is the most boring thing. Your friend tells you about their dream and it's like, I had a dream, a wolf was chasing me, but it had the head of a dog. It was a wolf though. And it had a hammer made of marrows and Carly Minogue was there and her head was made of sparrows. And you wanna go, you know what? I also had a dream that the next person who told me about their dream I punched in the head in real life, real life, not a dream, real life. Come here, Joe, so I can punch you in your big fat head. But do you ever say that? Do you hell you go? A hammer made of marrows. That literally could only happen in a dream. <laughs> All my dreams are just about tax. Because <laughs> hearing about other people's dreams is the most boring thing in the world. More boring than doing a goth's white wash. More boring than saying posh spice isn't posh. Why do they call her posh spice? I mean, she's probably middle class. It's just semantics, isn't it? But it is funny, isn't it? No. But hearing about other people's dreams is the most boring thing. The only interesting dream I ever had was after drinking port and brandy together. It's bad. I was posting ibuprofens in my mother's ear and they fitted through the hole then disappeared. Like that game where kids post shapes into a box. Then we got really worried she'd OD'd and so we stopped. Telling people about your dreams is one of the most interesting things in the world. So weigh it up, weigh it up. If you're with someone who's a bit of a dick, just tell them that dream as if you dreamt it. Push the friendship over the edge. Hearing about other people's kids is the second most boring thing in the world. Oh yeah, and Olive and his only two. Whoop da bloody doo. Martin Luther King had two dreams the night before he spoke about his dream. He nearly told the one about the penguin in the bowler hat. The penguin in the bowler Thanks for listening. Do keep downloading these podcasts at guardian.co.uk slash audio. I'm off to a complimentary therapy appointment. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.